Justin, welcome to the Fostering Community Podcast. For those that are listening, Justin is the founder of Clutch City Connect, an incredible company that provides necessities for the survival of the less fortunate throughout the city. And Houston Angels first connected with you last Christmas when you sponsored one of our family's Christmas wish lists. So thank you again for that. It was so great to have you a part of that. I can't wait to hear all about your journey, but first, if you could start by sharing a little bit about yourself, where you're from, what part of Houston you live in, anything you'd like to share. Uh, yes, uh, my name is Justin Sepulveda. Um, I was born and raised on the southeast part of Houston. I've pretty much lived there my whole life. Right now, I'm technically staying in Webster, Texas, but um, as you can see, um, I spend a good amount of my time out in the Houston, downtown Houston area just helping out. I started this company uh, about a year ago and, you know, never thought I'd be where I'm at today doing this interview and just kind of, uh, <laughs> you know, just having everything the way it came about. It's crazy. Yeah, so let's get into that. Um, Clutch City Connect, you guys are a company, you're not a nonprofit, right? Um, we are actually, as of um, about two months ago, we're now an official 501c3 nonprofit. Oh, okay, awesome. Yes. Congratulations. Got so, okay. Okay, so the nonprofit, you've worked primarily with taking care of our city's homeless population. Was Correct. it always a personal goal of yours to start this type of a business? I know, I think I've, you've mentioned that you never saw yourself doing this one day. Mm, and you know, how did it kind of like come about? How did the particular mission to help our city's homeless come about? Yeah, so like you said, this was never in the cards growing up. I, I never really thought that I would be doing something like this at all. And if I actually backtrack a long time ago, you know, back whenever I was 18, um, back in 2008, when things were a lot different for me, um, you know, ironically, I had actually just gotten out of the Harris County Jail. And um, oh, wow. I remember, yeah, I remember at the time I had gotten out and, um, it was a typical Wednesday afternoon, and I remember sitting out there, and um, at the time, I wasn't really close with my family. Um, I, I was doing a lot of just, I, I was causing a lot of trouble at the time, and um, I'll never forget whenever I was out there, um, I want to say I had maybe a little under a dollar in my pocket, and um, at the time, I was living out of hotels. I didn't have a phone. I literally had no idea what I was going to do. Um, I remember being very hungry and just that whole day, I just kind of sat there just thinking of a plan, like, you know, what next? Where am I going to go? How am I going to get back to, you know, um, southeast part of Houston? And I'll never forget this red truck drives up. And keep in mind where I'm sitting at, there was a bunch of homeless people around me. So they drove by and they asked if we were hungry. And I was like, you know, absolutely. So they handed me this $5 church's chicken box with a strawberry fanta. And, you know, I'll never forget that moment when that happened. Like, it was such a, it was something that I thought was so cool. You know, I saw them give that to me and just feeding these homeless people and they drove off. And um, it's something that I never really, I guess, you know, in the next couple of years, it's, it's not something that uh, changed my life at the moment. But thinking about it now, it's something that I always kept in the back of my head. Like, you know, one day, I think it would be really cool to do something like that. And I really admired them. So, um, you know, fast forward now, and this is to December of 2017, and uh, I was actually working in the chemical plants, and um, on December 28th, my oldest brother, Carlos, uh, he committed suicide. And, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, uh, thank you. So, you know, when that happened, um, you know, obviously I was in a very dark place, and um, I'd say a couple weeks after that, I remember sitting there just kind of thinking to myself, um, where I was in life and 
in a way, it kind of made me just take a step back and reevaluate what I was doing with my life. And I knew that what I was currently doing, I wasn't really happy. And one thing that I did know that I always enjoyed doing was helping people. So for me, the best way to stay positive was to do something that would help others. So I would actually take it upon myself. I'd say that really the whole year of 2018, I would just kind of go out there and I would go feed homeless people. It was just something that turned into a hobby of mine that I didn't even really tell people about. It's just something that I would go out there and I would really find joy doing things like that and just helping others. We'll fast forward now. This is to, uh, this is January of 2019. And I remember there was an Arctic front going on and I had posted on my, this is probably actually my first post on social media, um, just kind of describing to people what I was doing. But I remember making a post, it was on my storyline that lasted 24 hours, and I was asking people that if they had any blankets or jackets, could they reach out to me? And I'll never forget, it was really funny, but whenever I made that post, uh, a bunch of my friends were like, you know, are you okay? Like, it was really funny, but I began to describe to them like what it was for and what I was doing. And like I said, no one really knew what I was doing. So when they heard this, they're like, wait, you're doing what? Like, they were really surprised, and, and they loved it. So um, I think within 24 hours, or really within the first couple hours, um, you know, we, I had over 40 blankets, I had jackets, and uh, thermals, and all kinds of stuff. And personally, I think in a sense, like that moment, it kind of made me realize, like, man, you know, I could be really onto something. Like, there's a lot of people that actually want to help. So for the next month or two, I really just started to brainstorm, like, okay, so you obviously can do something with this. So you know, let's take it a step further. So, you know, those two months of planning, I decided to build a, uh, a business page. You know, I thought I'd call it Clutchy Connect. And what's actually funny about that is the, the name itself, um, I think maybe two years before that, me and my buddies, we had a t-shirt company where we'd sell Houston themed t-shirts. And um, this time we did kind of fun and it never really went anywhere. But I remember thinking to myself, like, you know, it'd always be kind of cool if I made like my own little shirts and one day I would call my brand Clutch Shitty Connect. So that's kind of how the name came about because, you know, Houston is known for Clutch Shitty. So um, when I decided to kind of go through with this, I just, I knew that I needed some sort of uh, funding to be able to, you know, help do what I'm doing on a bigger capacity. I believe it was March 5th is when I first announced that Clutch Shitty Connect was going to be actually a t-shirt company. That's really what started off. And the proceeds would go towards helping out the homeless and the less fortunate. I bought a hundred shirts and I had no idea, like, man, like I, I might be wasting a lot of money. <laughs> Let's just see where it goes. And uh, within 24 hours, all the shirts were sold. Wow. And that's kind of what made me realize like, you know what, let's, let's keep it going. And that's really what built the momentum to, you know, take it further. And you know, a year later, here we are now. Did you have any idea how to like start a business or how to start a nonprofit or anything? Or were you just kind of like researching I, and flying by the seat I of your pants. Mean, <laughs> I had no idea. Like if you were to look in my apartment right now, I have so many books on nonprofits for dummies on yeah. all that. I really didn't know what I was doing. And before I actually decided to make my own organization, you know, when I, I think my, my next step after helping out the homeless was I would go out and research these other nonprofit organizations. That's kind of what led me down that path is, um, you know, I knew that feeding them was one thing, but I wanted to do more. So I would actually start doing research into all these other places. And it was kind of funny, but I, in a way I would like go undercover and I would, uh, you know, I would go in there and I would just try to act like I need assistance. And I really just wanted to see like what they were doing, you know, how they were helping out the problems. And I would also just talk to a bunch of people that were actually homeless and just finding out what they really needed. 
Mm -hmm. So um, for me, it was a very big learning process. It was all brand new to me. There's so much that goes into making something like this sustainable, which we're seeing yes. too. I mean, it takes a lot of work. Everyone sees kind of on the front end, you helping everybody out, but on the back end, it's like, how do you build a business that will last and make long-term impact instead of just helping yeah. someone for a day? So we exactly. totally get that. So so through Houston Angels work, supporting the foster care system here in Houston, um, and also working with our national organization, we know that homelessness is one of many social issues that foster care feeds into. Um, as many as half of the U.S.'s homeless population has spent time in foster care. And right. we know that so many kids who age out at 18 with very little means of financial or emotional support, um, you know, these kids have gone through trauma, abuse, neglect, and the trauma of simply growing up in foster care. And they also severely lack resources and connection with healthy adults. And they're sort of just released at 18 and expected to be as self-sufficient as other kids their age. And then if and when they become homeless, besides struggling to get access to those basic needs for food and shelter, they're then very at risk to human trafficking, incarceration, mental illness. And it's really such a, a vicious cycle that can be hard to get out of, right? And so... For those who aren't aware, can you share statistics about our homeless population here in Houston? So I know they just did a new census this year. I'm not really sure about the results they've come up with so far, but I know, um, I do know of May of last year, I believe there was 2,300 homeless that were actually in shelters. Okay. And there was around 1,700 that were actually living on the streets of Houston, which if you think about it, that's a big number. It's a lot, yeah. it's, it's crazy. Yeah. So, and you mentioned to me that your organization is getting ready to focus primarily on at-risk youth. Is that correct? Yes, so kids, kids in shelters, lower income areas, and correct. teens in foster care that I'm referring to. And right. so was there something that you were seeing that kind of led you down this path and that struck a chord with you in this area? You know, nothing specifically at first. And Whenever I would first, uh, whenever I went out there in the beginning, before this became an organization, one thing that I really enjoyed doing is because I went so frequently, um, I would actually talk to a lot of these people and I, I would try to get to know their stories and just, you know, how they came about to be in the position that they're in now. And you would be so surprised on how many of them were like teenagers and, you know, in their early 20s. And I think when I would talk to them, it would resonate with me more just because, you know, we're around the same age group. So I really just wanted to kind of pick their brains and like, you know, like what happened? And I was so surprised on how many of them actually were in the foster care system or were in these uh, situations that you just described. So the more and more that I would find out about this, it really kind of made me think like, you know, we can do things that are going to aid people to help them get out of the situa situation. And I think the whole time I'm thinking like, you know, why can't we try to reach out to these at-risk youth and go to the root of the problem and actually try to, you know, help prevent this from becoming a statistic? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's what we're all about too, is we can help these kids as they're aging out, but how are we there for them when they're 10, 11, 12, 13 years old so that we exactly. can walk alongside them, you know, throughout their teenage years and not wait until they turn 18? And how can we help support the families who have them um, in their homes? So, you know, they stay in those homes and they're not bouncing around the system and, and wind up exactly where we were talking about so right and you know like um like i said like i would talk to them and 
like, like, you know, how we first met was back in Christmas time. And I remember when the holidays were approaching, that is something that I thought to myself, like, you know what, I'm not sure what I'm going to do, but I knew I wanted to do something for like, something like a toy drive for um, kids in the foster care system. Cause you know, thinking about it, I personally grew up with parents, you know, a healthy relationship with my family. And I just, I couldn't imagine growing up without parental figures like that, especially on holidays like Christmas and, and things like that. So I'll never forget, you know, we did this toy drive and, uh, you know, we were fortunate enough to provide all 46 kids at this foster home out in LaPorte with uh, Christmas presents. And they actually invited us out to this Christmas party. And, um, you know, me and one of my board members actually went there and we got to see the countdown and have them open up all the gifts. And I'll never forget just kind of watching that. And I just thought it was such a beautiful thing. And it was so just pure. And I, I just thought it was really awesome. And I think that was the big driving factor that pushed me to kind of uh, take this general direction into what we're doing now. Yeah, I mean, that reminds me of when I first met the youth that I've been mentoring over the last six months. It was around Christmas time, and um, she was living in a home where um, um, it wasn't mm. a, a, a traditional um, family foster placement. Her caseworker had asked if we could help bring over a Christmas tree to set up her house, which was pretty bare. Um, she didn't really have a lot of stuff in it. And so we brought over a Christmas tree and we helped um, set it up and decorate. And she said she didn't remember the last time that she had decorated a Christmas tree. Um, wow. And she didn't really have anyone that she was going to be spending the holidays with. Um, so it was really, it's kind of like what you were describing and it was, it was tough to walk away from that. Um, and just how do we make sure that we're putting people around these kids so that they're not going through all this alone all the time? I mean, right. I just can't, I can't imagine. It's can't. so crazy just to think about. It wasn't just about bringing gifts over. It was about someone being there and, and doing something completely normal with a child right. that any child should be able to there. experience. Yeah. So, um, so anyway, one of the things I love about Clutch City Connect is how much you collaborate with other organizations and missions. Mm -hmm. um, that was such a big reason for us even creating this podcast because we really believe these issues are going to take willing collaboration right. and combining of forces and perspectives to make the long-term sustainable change that we all want to see. So why is collaboration with other organizations so important to you? I mean, I'll just start off by saying that, you know, where we're at now, I personally don't think we'd, we'd be in this position had it not been for just so much support that we've had and just the outpour of, I mean, even not even businesses, but just people in general yeah. that just care. Like it, you know, the year that I've been running this, it's truly made me realize just how much good is out there. And it kind of shows you that Houston is really made up of a, a tight knit community of a bunch of entrepreneurs and, and business owners that really want to help out, you know. One of our first events that we actually did on our own was a back to school bash for a uh, lower income elementary school. And um, that was actually, yeah, that was the first event that I was coordinating pretty much on my own. And I remember I made a video requesting that if anyone had school supplies that they'd be willing to donate, you know, please reach out. It was so crazy because I didn't really have a lot of connections at the time. It was like three months after building this organization. And I mean, we had gyms, dance studios, um, you know, girls that had their own individual microblading businesses, all kinds of just companies that just wanted to reach out. And, you know, they would not only um, sacrifice some of their profits, but they, they wanted to use their platform to help us out. And I, I think that kind of showed me like, man, there's a lot of people that really want to help. And 
they just don't know how to. So I've realized that, you know, anytime that we have these events, I mean, the support that we get, it just grows more and more. And, you know, at the end of the day, um, we're all here to help each other out. And if they can help us out, you know, why would I not want to help them build their brand or build what they're doing? I mean, they deserve the recognition as well. And um, at the end of the day, I'm just one person. I can't do all this on my own. And, you know, the more support and the more help that we have from our, uh, you know, from our neighbors, it's only going to make things better. And I just think that, um, you know, coming together as a team like that, that's that's such a important thing, especially right now in the midst of like a pandemic with, you know, so much um, obstacles going on. Yeah. I just think that it's a, it's a very valuable thing to have. Yeah, totally agree. We feel the same way about all of that. Um, how have you guys been faring through these past few months as a result of the pandemic? And have you seen things get even harder for the people you've been serving? You know, unfortunately, I have one thing that I have noticed is, um, you know, I, I want to say, when did everything start shutting down? It was the beginning of March. Correct? Yeah, March. Yep. Around that time, I remember maybe like the third week of March, I'd actually gone out there and um, I just went out to, there's, there's certain areas in the Houston, uh, you know, the, by the campsites where a lot of homeless actually are living at. So I would go out there and kind of just talk to them. And there was a few questions that I would ask them. And, you know, one thing that I realized, you know, there's certain places you can go to, for example, like your day centers where you can go and, you know, get out of the sun, you can go and wash clothes, you can get a shower, a hot meal. Well, a lot of these places were actually shut down, you know, for obvious reasons. Now there's a lot of homeless people that are getting proper hygiene products. They're not getting fed. They're not getting water. They're not able to take showers. Um, you know, let's, there's other places you can go to that are soup kitchen. Well, that was taken out as well. So something that I believe happened, um, this probably started at the beginning of the year, but a lot of homeless people were actually getting um, taken in by housing. They're, they're getting housing granted and, um, you know, all that pretty much ceased to exist. A lot of these people that were in waiting to get into housing, that pretty much stopped. So, you know, in a way, uh, most of their resources actually got cut off and, yeah, it's scary to think about because I, I don't know what's going to happen in the months to come, but you know, with businesses being down and people losing jobs, like I, it's scary to say, but I feel like it's only going to get worse. And, yeah. um, you know, I've definitely noticed it's, it's gotten a little bit crazier and just being out there, I can tell, um, just the, the atmosphere and the vibe is changed a little bit. You can tell that people are more on edge and people are nervous. You know, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Do you work um, alongside um, shelters or do you just primarily help um, people who are on the streets? Um, more people that are on the streets. Now we are connected with a few shelters, uh, a women's center and a couple of, uh, you know, the beacon, which is a day center and mm. a, a soup kitchen or two, but more or less it's aimed towards the homeless at the moment. Okay. Especially now with everything shut down as well. Yeah. So what's in store for Clutch City Connect in the coming year, besides everything that we just kind of <laughs> talked about, how hard it is? Right. Um, what's in store? We're going to um, focus more of our direction towards at-risk youth. So really, we're doing a lot of planning right now. And I know at the moment, there's only so much that we can do with the given situation. So we're, you know, at the moment, we're going to keep continuing to help out whoever we can and do whatever we can to just make these people's lives easier. Mm. But um, as far as this year, it it's not going to happen realistically, but um, our planning is going to go in the direction of having a center for the at-risk youth. That's kind of oh, what yeah. I'm envisioning right now. So it's a lot of planning is going on. Yeah. Okay. 
Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here. We appreciate you and all the hard work your company is doing for our city. And um, we're excited to work with you more and get to know you better. So if you can just finish off by sharing where people can find you on social media and online and what can they do to help your organization? We are on Facebook and Instagram. Our Facebook, you can just look up Clutch City Connect. Um, if you go to our Instagram, our tag is clutch underscore city underscore connect. We're basically taking anything as far as hygiene products, water, dry canned food products, anything that you feel might be valuable that you might not need. We're kind of trying to take as much as we can, even clothing products. Do you take used donations of like used clothing and stuff or is uh, it mostly yes, just do. new? Okay. Uh, well, we, I mean, we would like to take it preferably new, but I mean, yeah. if it's, it's gently, gently used, we'll take that as well. Correct. So. Um, yeah, right now we're just trying to get as much items as we can and we're going out every week to feed the homeless and we're also trying to put together care packages as well. Um, we're also taking monetary donations for people that aren't comfortable with actually giving out and, you know, uh, meeting up in person and whatnot. Where can people drop these things off or can they ship them to you? How does that work? Yeah, um, we are doing um, in-person drop-offs at 555 Bay Area Boulevard out in Houston, Texas. And the zip code is 77058. And, um, you know, if they have anything that they're um, able to drop off, just please reach out to us and we'll uh, personally meet you guys out there. And, um, you know, I think the biggest way to help as well is just word of mouth. Uh, you know, like I said, the biggest way that we've kind of gotten some of this exposure is just people finding out about us. And the more support that we get, the bigger impact we're able to make on these people. So yeah. it's definitely, um, it's greatly appreciated.